Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, Senior Vice President of Growth at Blue Shield of California. My guest today is Christina Farr. Christina is Principal Investor and Health Tech Lead at Omer's Ventures. She is also the author of a newsletter called Second Opinion, which features analysis and interviews with founders, executives, and investors on the future of healthcare. Prior to Omer's Ventures, Christina was a technology and health reporter for CNBC.com in San Francisco, where she covered how Silicon Valley's biggest technology companies are moving into healthcare. In this episode, we'll get Christina's insights and perspectives on health tech trends that are important for employers and healthcare consumers to pay attention to. Thanks for joining me, Chrissy. Thanks so much for having me, Don. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It is so great to connect with you again and, uh, and see you. Um, so you have just had a big move recently and I just wanted to start there with, uh, you know, this big news of you going to Omer's Ventures and um, and leaving the the world of uh, media journalism. Yeah, it's it's been a, a crazy ride these past few months. Um, I was in journalism for a really long time, as you know, um, almost a decade. Most recently at, at CNBC. And, you know, just decided at a certain point that I was I was ready to make a change. And um, Omer's was just the right fit for all sorts of different reasons. But now I, I'm I'm on this, uh, the side of getting to invest in digital health companies. I'm I'm an ally to digital health companies and I'm I'm just really enjoying it so far and um, kind of happy to reflect on the first few months. But, um, you know, the, the funny thing, Don, is that just how similar the the two roles are between between investor and, and journalist, uh, if you want to get into that. But it's just the, the overlaps have been surprising to me. Before we go into that piece of it, I was going to ask you a little bit of the opposite question. What you know, I know you've just started, but what's been surprising? What you where you said to yourself, "Boy, I didn't expect that." <laughs> um, I think you know one of the surprising things has just been now that I'm sort of embedded a lot more in, into various companies and I'm, I'm hearing their stories in a more unfiltered way, um, just how hard it is um, to be a founder in digital health. And I think when you're on the journalism side, you, you often hear the stories of milestones and successes and big wins. And what you don't hear as much is just how like hard it is to hire the right people and how hard it is to do kind of sales and, and win contracts. And um, now I kind of hear much more of that. And um, I think I just have like a, a new affinity for um, for entrepreneurs and, and just the challenges that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. One of the things I was curious about is, you know, and, and you've you've kind of shared some of this. You've obviously got a huge following on Twitter. So, folks, by the way, you, you know, typically I mentioned this at the end, but if you're not following um, Chrissy on Twitter, it's at Chrissy Farr um, is her handle at Twitter. You need to do that if you're interested in healthcare and health tech. Uh, but one of the things that you had, I think, recently gone back and forth on was just tips for founders, for example, with the media. So I was more curious about, um, you know, you talk about, you know, developing true relationships and founders that actually actually get into the media are the ones that aren't just kind of given that perfect story. They're actually sharing the, the challenges as well in some way. 
So do you feel like now that you're on this side of the equation, do you feel like, yeah, that still holds true? Or um, was there still a lot of screening that was kind of going on when you were on the other side of the table? No, it absolutely does hold true. And this is something that I've tried to share, you know, a fair bit given um, how long I, I was in journalism. Um, you know, well, I was covering the health tech beat most most of the time um, that, that I was a reporter. And I had a lot of very intimate, you know, relationships with folks in the world of health plans and at companies and in the in VC funds as well. And these would be people who I felt like, you know, I had their personal cell number and I could kind of call them really at any time and, and ask a question and, and get a sort of relatively honest response. Um, and that, that took a while to build up. But, you know, I think it's what made me feel like I was doing a, a sort of a decent job um, of reporting on this on this community that, that I had these direct relationships. And, you know, the other thing about being a journalist that's so challenging is you're told a lot of things and some of those things may be exaggerations or maybe kind of more hype driven than anything else and so if you don't have an expert in the space to turn to where you can say look you know reality check is this ai thing like really as great as uh, as i'm being told by uh by the, the sort of marketing folks out there, then you could put your uh, reputation on the line to kind of sell or promote something that, that isn't really real. Um, and that I used to just kind of live in fear of, of that. Um, you know, imagine being the, the reporter that put Theranos on the, on the front cover of, of the newspaper. You, can, you kind of never recover from that. Um, so I think, you know, journalists are always looking for those relationships. And to the extent that you're comfortable and, and sort of willing to chat, you know, maybe it's on background and not even on the record, so you won't be quoted, but to the extent that you feel like you want to have a relationship with a journalist, I think it can go a really long way. It, it serves you on both sides. Um, and I, I just, I really encourage it of, of everyone that, that I talk to. No, thanks for sharing that. I, you know, even for myself, I, I'd been on, I'd been in healthcare for about 25 years and been on the health plan side a lot of that time. But I can tell you that even the year and a half I spent actually before joining Blue Shield of California on the startup technology side, I learned so much from the other side of the table that you just have a really different perspective. So I'm, I'm excited for you. Uh, and that leads me to the kind of where you were going. You've got so many transferable skills and assets that you bring to the equation in your new role. So has, you know, you know, from the approach that you took in journalism, you know, how is that translating for you early on with Omer's Ventures? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I think every investor is different and they have things that they are great at and not so great at. And um, for me, I, I just still really love content and I still love aspects of, you know, my old job that involve asking a lot of questions. So, you know, one of my kind of, what I'm hoping will differentiate me as an investor is that I can keep doing that. Um, just today, I put out um, a, a post in, in my newsletter that was kind of a, a guide to how to integrate clinical and technology teams in digital health and how to hire a, a chief medical officer. And the reason I did that is because so many founders have told me that finding a CMO can, you know, or the right CMO can make or break their business. And so, 
you know, I, I love just going out there and kind of asking all the smart people in my network what their lessons learned were, how did they solve this problem? And as to the extent that I can kind of put that out there to the ecosystem um, to make it a little bit easier at the end of the day to kind of run a business in healthcare, that's, that's what I want to keep doing. Um, and then of course, there's the network that you build up as a, as a journalist and, and that translates well to to investing because I can introduce founders to a lot of interesting folks within healthcare that they might not otherwise meet. So I think there's a lot of parallels. And to me, it makes sense why this kind of journalism to VC path has been trodden before in the past. You were um, incredible um, from a journalist perspective in healthcare, health technology. What, you know, I, I get curious, what do you think was your differentiator and set you apart even in that field? Yeah, that's a really good question. And as a as a Brit, it's kind of hard for me to, to sing my own praises. <laughs> so I think, you know, it was really like I said, it was just it was making it a point to have those those direct, honest kind of feedback loops. Um and making sure that anyone that I talked to who I, who I thought was interesting, I was I would always ask for their phone number and I, I would make sure that I, I was able to sort of text them anytime. Um that I, you know, where I had a question. And so a lot of times in journalism, you see those relationships be, be mediated. And, you know, it's it's very common to have kind of those relationships be sort of staffed by agencies or, you know, folks, internal communications folks. I think there's a, there's a way to do that. But, you know, as a journalist, you also have to have um, that mix of people who will, you know, sort of be available to you at any at any time and, and will just tell you the honest truth. Um, so it was just it was just really kind of navigating that um, that I think kind of really helped me in my journalism work. Yeah. And, you know, I'll just say, Chrissy, so you and I have been connected for a few years, um, you know, and I think it was through social media that we first kind of had connected, but I would say that you know what I noticed with you uh, as well. Your responsiveness is just off the charts. It's incredible. I mean, you know, so if you if you get pinged, uh, it seems like you are able to respond immediately, and I think that's rare. And it's also not taken for granted. I think, given how big <laughs> your network is and, uh, and and continues to be, so. Um, to, for me, at least, that was a huge differentiator that I've that I've seen from afar as I watched your work. <laughs> Thank you. I definitely am less responsive these days as I I find myself in in more meetings um, in my new job. But I try to be as responsive as possible, um, and I I like to keep up with people on Twitter. It's it's honestly where I meet you know most of the folks that I am now kind of very close to in digital health. I've met. I've met online. Um, so it's I just, it's just been an amazing channel for me. I mean, where else would you kind of get to meet somebody working at a pharma company or health plan in the middle of the country? Like you can't rely on just kind of these sort of staple of, of conferences. Um, so I love I love social media. I'm a big fan and, and continue to meet really interesting people there and kind of use it as a tool to vet ideas. And with your new role, how do you think about, um, is, is there a change in your approach to keeping your network fresh and connected um, in this role? Or is it, uh, you know, kind of, you know, trial and error to see sort of what, what the right mix is uh, for this versus, you know, what you're doing before? Yeah, I mean, Don, I think it's a tricky question because we still are in the middle of the pandemic. So a lot of it is virtual these days and it's not ideal. Um, I, you know, I can just about kind of 
get away with doing Zoom meetings all day um, and finding value there. But, you know, I really honestly miss just the, the coffee meetings. I even miss the crazy conferences. Uh, I found myself kind of earlier this month just wishing that I could be at JP Morgan, which is just never something that I, I thought that I would ever feel. Um, <laughs> if you've ever been to JP Morgan Health, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I miss it all. And I think, you know, once we're sort of back with, uh, you know, a vaccine and, and being widely distributed in normal life, um, I'll probably kind of resume much more kind of in person and, and not as much um, virtual because, you know, really, I think the trust relationship that you get from from in person can't really be replicated. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I feel that myself. I mean, we're, you know, going on 10 months of really virtual both, you know, I used to really spend some time in the market with customers and, and others, and uh, it's tough not being in person. And then also we've got 7,000 employees and, you know, it's uh, you're, you're communicating in two dimensional versus, uh, you know, being in person 3D and that, that, that can kind of wear on you. And there's the Zoom fatigue and all of that, and, or, or I should say video fatigue, because there's so many different applications out there. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I definitely hear you on that. So areas you are researching include women's health, behavioral health, and pharmacy tech. And I know there's more, but could you give a voiceover on you know, some of the trends that you find most interesting maybe of those or any other area that you're you're researching? Yeah, great question. I, I'd also love to hear yours as well. Um, we can we can trade notes. Um, so behavioral is a big one. Um, I think it is quite trendy right now, but for good reason. I mean, you're seeing, you're probably seeing it um, from where you sit as well, but just um, skyrocketing needs around, you know, behavioral health support. Um, people are really struggling in this pandemic and we have a shortage of, of providers to take care for care of them. And I think the technology angle here is one that, you know, makes a lot of sense to me, just given that there is less of a need for a physical exam. Um, I see, you know, obviously there are reasons to why it's sort of optimal to be to be seen in person, but where it comes to, when it comes to sort of telemedicine, I think behavioral is a is a is a good area. Um, so that's definitely one. And then women's health has just been so underserved. I mean, just even when I was in my journalism role, I couldn't believe how few companies I would meet with that would get funded, especially when you consider that women are making pretty much all the buying decision decisions in the home when it comes to our healthcare. They're the primary users of telemedicine services. There's also, you know, <laughs> lots of amazing female clinicians who could start companies um, that we could be getting behind. So I want to see more there. Um, and I'm, I'm increasingly kind of looking at that space. Um, the other thing that interests me, um, and I know I've mentioned telemedicine a few times, but you know it's a, it's a big it's a big deal this year for obvious reasons. Um, but I I have seen sort of telemedicine kind of go from being you know really horizontal, really one size fits all platforms like a like a teledoc or a or a doctor on demand, and now you're seeing kind of more focus from kind of these startup companies on individual patient populations. So what, what does it look like to just focus on LGBTQ patients? Or what does it look like to just focus on women? Um, and I think those uh, ideas are really compelling as well. Uh, and that's definitely an area that, that I think, you know, could show a lot of promise. Um, so those are some, and then, you know, one that I have barely gotten started on, but I, I feel really excited about is, um, is technology for public health departments, because we, 
we saw with this pandemic how understaffed and under-resourced they are. And typically after a crisis, you see a massive wave of funding going into public health. Um, so I expect to see some some innovation there. Um, what about you? What are you? What are your What are your big themes um, that that you're looking at these days? Yeah, Chrissy, those resonate quite a bit with me. And uh, you know, th some of the things you're getting after are just you know health equity, and there's a huge focus. Uh, you know, I think uh, it sounds cliche, but personalized healthcare. You know, we've been talking about it for a long time. Um, Value-based care, moving away from the fee-for-service environment uh, to truly you know, focusing on on outcomes is a huge area of focus uh, for us. And then you you nailed it. I think you know, mental health, behavioral health, is uh, is one that before the pandemic had such uh, high interest from employers in particular. And uh, I'd say when the pandemic hit, it's now off the charts. And so now the question is. Um, nobody's got this really answer, you know, to the question solved yet, but what's the best way to set up between a mix of virtual and then actual providers, which are lacking in the system to address mental health, behavioral health. And so those are definitely some of the areas. And, and, and I could go on and on too, you know, between pharmacy trends and specialty, you know, drugs and uh, just so many areas of really opportunity to you know, get back to, you know, again, the, the term used in healthcare, right? The triple aim, cost, quality, experience, but really uh, figuring out a way to do that. And this pandemic, I think in some ways, accelerated some of those things. And as you know, I did have a chance, I loved the article that you put together, I think for your newsletter on uh, 2021 predictions, tech, you know, predictions. Um, and there's a lot of, I think, probably pent up demand right now too because people have been avoiding getting care that they've needed because of the pandemic. And um, I think 2021 is gonna be really interesting um, to see how all that plays out. Um, we know that alcohol abuse, substance abuse is going up. Um, so there's just a lot going on right now. And I also think, um, you know, we've seen some real good examples about how virtual care can really work. And before it was sort of an idea, some people did it, and then it became the default for some period of time. I think it'll kind of settle, but I also think it's also here to stay at some level. Uh, and uh, so I just look forward to that that kind of work continuing. Yeah, I agree with you on, on so many of the themes that you outlined. And I think the, the big question is gonna be post-pandemic, like how much do we see reimbursement for a lot of these kind of telemedicine type services that you that you outlined do we get a kind of uh snap back to the status quo pre-pandemic or uh, do we see a continuation of support and you know is there ultimately going to be parity between in-person and, and telemedicine and that's like that's a very tricky question because i think for health systems at least you know from from their perspective it's it's definitely more lucrative when they can get you through the door, um, and so I, I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out. And I think I think you know we will have we'll just have to wait and see to some extent. But I'm I am really hoping that we we get kind of more of a shift to to virtual being you know increasingly paid for in the way it should be. Yeah, and and I don't know if you agree with this, but I feel like this pandemic back to the whole idea of health equity. 
has really put an exclamation point on you know disadvantages of certain populations with healthcare. We're seeing more and more stats, and then I think we're going to see more and more approaches that pull in social determinants of health and 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 really um, you know start to help people differently. And I think you mentioned uh, as well, uh, you know, not only today but also in some of your writing that just diversity in you know some of these companies and 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 the venture capital approach to them i think is going to be really important because that really hadn't um at least been any kind of big focus with momentum but i feel like that's shifting so i i get really interested in that through 2021. yeah i agree with you on the, on the social determinants front i mean it's just so key that that we ha start having more of these conversations and you know, I have, I, you know, will share with you guys that I am um, eight and a half months pregnant. So I've been, I've been going to a lot of OB visits during, during this pandemic and recently having a conversation with my OB about why the U.S. has such high maternal mortality rates compared to other developed countries. And, you know, from her perspective of, of treating diverse populations, just so much of this could be solved if we had paid time off for mothers or if we had... Um, if we if we could pay women to just even go to their medical appointments, and she she spoke about the importance of even just having a babysitter available um, to take care of um, an existing child, um, you know, because right now you you can't put your kid in the waiting room. You're not allowed anyone. No one's allowed in the visit. Um, so it's uh, it's just things like that that can make all the difference in in healthcare. But we tend to just get very fixated on on the medical piece of this and and not the sort of social lives um, of patients that sort of prevent them from getting the, the treatment that they need and deserve. Well, congratulations. That's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Eight and a half months. You're almost there. <laughs> That's exciting. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. But um, yeah, it's also scary to be a parent. So whole other topic. But um, thank you. Thank you for, for saying so. You moderated um, a discussion recently or a musculoskeletal uh, space and you had um you know a couple key folks on there and one of the comments that was made and i was wondering how it resonated with you was around uh something around technology and um really getting that that technology and that touch you know piece right so we at blue shield say high tech and high touch you know to make things personalized and there was um some discussion during that moderation too where uh, I think it was Dr. Jonathan Slotkin talked about people will use um, technology and things when they when it brings them value. So when you think about the reason I mentioned that is when you think about you've been covering the tech space a long time in healthcare. Does that resonate with you? Are, are we are we getting to a point finally where it's not about the technology, but it's about the whole picture, about the strategy and what it will actually do? Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for listening to that panel. Um, it was it was an interesting topic of, you know, what, what will it look like in 2021 when we have to rebook all of these surgical procedures that that were uh, kind of delayed in 2020. And as you know, there is already a lot of unnecessary um, surgery going on when it comes to the space of, of knee replacements and, and hip, you know, hip surgeries and so it's a big problem, and it was a, it was a good discussion. But I, I love that you raised this point about about tech and touch. Um, and Dr. John Slotkin from Geisinger talks a lot about this because I think, you know, we we see a lot of solutions out there that can help guide a patient towards 
a surgical intervention or something like that when when needed. Um, but but perhaps also there's another approach, which you know, in the case of of MSK or musculoskeletal, it might be, you know, some kind of remote physical therapy um, offering. Um, we have a, a company in our portfolio called Peerwell that kind of helps determine kind of what what is the right journey for that specific patient, and they have tools to you know, to help you um, along your journey, um, whether it's to prepare for surgery, to recover from one, or to do that that PT that I mentioned. And so I think we need to have, you know, all of these options available to to patients rather than sort of deferring to something that, you know, perhaps is, it sounds like it will fix problems in theory, like a surgery, but oftentimes sort of creates, creates new ones down the line. Yeah, it was a fascinating interview. And for listeners, I, you know, again, follow... Follow Chrissy on LinkedIn and Twitter because you you can get access and see you know some of these because you had posted that one on LinkedIn which is why I saw it and you know that one of the stats that stood out Chrissy that you mentioned during that moderation was fifty percent of spine surgeries are unnecessary and then um, I think it was something like twenty to thirty percent of um, of other of other surgeries in that realm are unnecessary so it's it's um. It's just fascinating, you know, for me, again, I can't tell you how long we've talked about waste in healthcare and actually, um, you know, those actually do more harm than good at times when, when people are going in for unnecessary treatment. And so, um, you know, it, it was just uh, it, more of that's needed and more importantly, approaches to actually put into place in the marketplace in our products and our services with different line of business, I think, you know, is something that I really am passionate about and really want to see. And I know that's something that that uh, our team is looking for all the time, um, and especially with that lens as well around health equity, I, I think um, is really important for us. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and you could probably tell that I'm, I'm English. So we, this is just not a problem that we have as much in the UK because our, our system is not fee for service. And so, you know, you don't necessarily see kind of, physicians de deferring to expensive unnecessary procedures to quite the the same extent that you do that you do in the US. And I'm I'm just glad that we're starting to have these these conversations more now because like you mentioned there is a lot of of waste in in the system and there are so many interventions that oftentimes we could be trying first that are in the best interest of a patient that we just skip over. Um so I would I would love to see kind of, you know, more more along these lines of of exposing kind of you know where 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 we could be doing things very differently um for our patients and and you know perhaps less lucrative for the system but better for them you were born and raised in london and then you ended up in the bay area so you, you mentioned the the differences there um anything that uh, just continues to puzzle you about the difference between the u.s healthcare system and and the uk um, I mean, so many things. I think this you're gonna well, the Americans are gonna resent me for saying this, but um, I don't really understand why people in the US aren't more upset <laughs> about their healthcare. I mean, if you look at all the sort of research that's out there, the Commonwealth Fund is a is a really good resource that looks at sort of global healthcare. Um, the U.S. is not stacking well against other countries. It's definitely not one of the most enviable healthcare systems in the world. And I, I say this, and, and I preface it by saying that we do certain things very well. And R&D is one of the things we do well. I, I want to put that out there. But I think 
when it comes to new innovations, we're great. And then it comes to access, we're terrible. And we're the only country that bankrupts people. And I, th I also think there's sort of a web of misinformation out there too, um, that sort of, you know, prevents people from seeing that there are better options for them. Um, people think that, you know, the only other option is single payer and that's socialist. And in reality, there's lots of ways to get to universal coverage. And some of them may even be more decentralized than the system that we have now. So I think it's just the sort of lack of literacy around kind of global healthcare systems, um, how other countries operate and, you know, a sort of sense of <laughs> urgency that I would expect to see from people kind of knowing where the U.S. ranks relative to these other countries, because we, I think we deserve better. Yeah, well said. I mean, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past. I mean, health, the healthcare system that we have today is broke. I mean, um, and which makes me, makes me proud for the work that we're focused on at Blue Shield. I mean, we really, our North Star as a company is healthcare that's worthy of our family and friends and sustainably affordable. And I think sometimes with how we look at healthcare, that's lost on different actors in, in the system. And in some ways, the system is perfectly designed to get, you know, get what we're getting in the U.S. So I know that's a focus for us every day. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, it, I get really excited when I start to see us taking steps in the right direction. And like I said, the pandemic has really spiked out some things that just, you know, boy, we need to do accelerate. That's exciting. And it's also really spiked out some spots where it's, it's just unfortunate. And we've got a lot of ground that we, we have to gain. So I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share uh, some of my grievances on this, but also for, for acknowledging that it is broken. Um, which not, you, not everybody is is willing to do, and I've I've uh, I've appreciated the sort of the conversations that we've had and and that I've had with with others at at Blue Shield of California about this because it seems like you know everybody is is aligned here on 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 wanting to fix it and make it better. Chrissy, is there um, is there any um, specific uh, health tech companies that you would like to call out that you know you're working on or focused on with Elmer's Ventures uh, that that you think you mentioned one of them uh, was it Peerwell? Um, Peerwell, yeah. That you just think are are interesting to note. Yeah, we have another one in our portfolio that's pretty cool um, with Me Health, and we we that's one in the pharmacy space. I know this is an area that you were really excited about too, um, but I think you know what they're looking at is more of the sort of guidance and navigation aspects around around pharmacy and we see that with kind of um medical services accolade is a good example you know i, I used to be a user of, of accolade myself um, when i was at comcast um comcast of course owns the NBC, and it was amazing i you know no offense i know you you're from the world of health plans but your customer service leaves a lot to be desired um, and Accolade sometimes would even, you know, get on the phone and, and deal with my medical issue, my medical billing issues and administrative issues. So I did not have to. It was amazing. And there was someone there to just answer all of my my questions because no one can navigate this the complexity of this current system. And um, I, I loved being able to use it. So uh, with me is kind of that, but for pharmacy. So if you're juggling multiple medications, if you don't know, how much something's going to cost? Is there a cheaper option? Should I take the generic? It's it's a it's somebody who's sort of there for you um, to kind of lead you through that process. So, and I love that we're involved with a company like that that is that is so patient facing 
Um, outside of our portfolio companies, there's loads that I'm excited about in, in health tech right now. Um, you know, just a one or two that sort of spring to mind just from the recency of having connected with them. Um, we we met with a, a company called Papa recently um, that's that's uh, based in Florida. And, and what they're doing is is helping um, connect seniors um, with uh, typically a college student or a stay at home mom but somebody who's vetted um, and will just help you with stuff around the house. Like, do you need help with groceries? Is there a hazard in the home? Is, you know, maybe this bath mat needs to be moved because um, it could could cause a fall or just company, you know, because loneliness is such a big problem that we face. And I, I love that a company like that is able to actually get reimbursement for what they do. Um, so that's just one example. Another one, um, I really like what Brightline Health is doing um, finally, a company that's really targeted towards pediatric populations. If you have a, a child with a, a learning disability or, you know, that just needs extra support from a, from a behavioral health standpoint that they can sort of connect you there. And this is a business that I assumed was going to be direct to consumer, but has ultimately ended up finding a path with employers and health plans willing to pay for it. Um, because during the pandemic, so many of us are, are seeing our kids suffer. And so just just businesses like that, where I'm just like, this is just such a, you know, if these businesses succeed, this is just such a pro profound value add um, for the patient. And I just, I love talking with with those entrepreneurs and, and hearing their stories. There's a couple there that I did not know about. So I'm going to check those out. And then there's others, by the way, like Accolade. Um, we developed a partnership with them based on, you know, what you had said. So we've got actually our first client, uh, coming on with that specific partnership because they are, um, they, they've done some amazing things with personalization and their concierge service. And, um, and, you know, they're, they're an incredible company. And uh, Brightline is also one that we're, um, we're, we're working with. So I'm excited about that as well. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. that that's excellent. I, I'm not surprised that you're already in touch with, with a lot of these folks. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, it's, it's just innovative stuff and, and not something that you may have seen prior to the pandemic. So on a more personal note, uh, what's one thing you've learned in 2020 that you think will benefit you in 2021 and beyond? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I think it's, I think it might be the, uh, the sort of how on so, there's been like a, a level in which, I've enjoyed taking a pause and, you know, just not being able to go out and do things this year. Um, it's sucked in many ways. I miss my friends. A lot of them have moved away from the Bay area, but I've also just kind of taken it easy and really I've had weekends where I, I mean, I don't have kids yet, so that's part of it, but I've, I've had weekends where I've just done very little, you know, like read books and, clean the house and gone for long walks and it was deeply pleasurable and i think it's just you know the importance of of quiet time has been been my big lesson from this past year well thanks for sharing that i uh i found similar i i, I was quite did quite quite a bit of traveling was on the road all the time and uh it's just been you know that that's been something that i've really valued is uh, being able to spend time with family and then having that downtime and so to your point, well, I miss some of that travel and I miss, you know, um, it, there's also been some goodness and I've definitely picked up my reading as well, <laughs> for sure, um, versus maybe what I was doing before with actual books. So 
um, I can relate to that. Before I turn to our rapid fire questions where I'd love for you to give us one word answers, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I guess it's just, you know, be well, stay safe. Um, I hope that you are able to get vaccinated soon and, and so are your loved ones and, you know, big virtual hugs because it's been a it's been a rough ride. And thanks for having me on. Oh, we're so glad to have you on, uh, Chrissy. So thank you so much. Uh, so I'm going to turn to a, a few rapid fire questions. And if you could just give your one word answer. Um, one thing you hope for in healthcare this year. There are so many things. I guess I'll just give you the first one that popped into my head, even though my list is really like 20 things long. Um, but I think it would be if we could somehow figure out some kind of national license for our providers that if you are able to, if you have a, if you're a licensed practice medicine in California, you should be able to in any other state because diseases are not different depending on what state you're in. Um, so I would like to see that sorted out um, that we can kind of really get, get telemedicine going in the coming years. And it just, you know, I just see that as sort of an unnecessary blockade that doesn't make a ton of sense. One thing you do to stay healthy. One thing mm, I would say it's to, I like to go for walks. Um, I'm a very, I'm, a, I'm an urban creature. So I like to be in cities and I, I just, I enjoy just kind of going for long walks and saying hi to people and finding new communities. And yeah, so that's my, that's my thing. Unfortunately, I was, I was allowed to do that with a mask on, even in this pandemic. The most used app on your phone. Twitter. <laughs> no question. I'm a bit addicted. I, have and to say. I got one more here. Um, when you're not working, what can we find you doing? Reading. I love books. Um, I actually have Goodreads updated. So if anybody wants to follow along with me, um, you definitely can. And I'd love your recommendations. Oh, that we definitely need to trade some notes on that. I definitely got some and I'd love to hear yours. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Chrissy. And um, thank you uh, to all our listeners for taking the time to listen. You know, I hoped you walked away with, you know, the, just the passion that uh, Chrissy Farr has around health tech, health equity, really transforming healthcare. And it's so exciting to see, uh, you know, her new move into uh, Omer's Ventures. And for more information about Omer's Ventures, visit www.omersventures.com. You can also follow and, and engage with Chrissy on Twitter at Chrissy Farr. And her ideas um, and topics for her second opinion newsletter. Join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or Spotify, or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue. Thank you.